welcome to the Dallas Soccer Show. I'm Dustin Nation, and we have with us the entire the entirety of Dallas Soccer Show co-host panel. This week we have Armand Kafai and Tristan Vick. How are you doing? How are you doing, fellas? We're good. I'm good. I mean, I think Tristan's good too. I don't, we don't have that chemistry yet, though. To for me to like read his mind to see if he's yeah. Doing, I know you're doing some traffic today, though. So yeah. No, I'm good. Well, I'm sitting in the floor of my closet because the wife is taking over the rest of the house with Netflix. And <laughs> so I've made a little studio in the closet. Awesome. Well, this is the first episode with all of us. So this should be should be fun. We'll we uh, it's going to be an action packed episode. Lots to stuff, lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to start off with some Gold Cup, some Women's World Cup and then talk about FC Dallas's DC United and Cholos games. And at the end, um, I had a little sit down with Matt Denny, who's the GM of the North Texas SC. Um, and we're going to play that for you here on the pod. So let's get stuck in. Gentlemen, did you guys watch the Gold Cup finals on Sunday? No, I was at uh, Cholos and FC Dallas. Yeah, I bought a sweet ticket for the. Oh yeah, the I was friendly. there just watching it. It was it was fantastic watching was, uh, a zero zero draw in the friendly. Oof. The Sienna Blue lot was open, and so I was able to get up close parking. So it's true. The the the, the <laughs> real answer is yes. I think me and Tristan are we done trolling blasted. Dustin now? Yeah, we're we're, we're done trolling <laughs> Dustin after after all that. Uh, I think uh, we did watch it. We watched the tale of two halves. It was. It was actually a really interesting match. You missed the contrast, but if you just watched the second half, you would have thought we got totally roped the entire match. But if you watch, if you actually look at the expected goals, you would see that the U.S. should have won that match. And it's all because of Josie Altidore that we didn't. No, it, you're no, you're spot on, Tristan. Uh, it was. I mean, the U.S. started really bright in those first 20, 25 minutes. It was. Like, wow, what are we watching here? The U.S. is the protagonist. They're going forward. They're pushing numbers. Outdoor had that really brilliant chance that he flubbed. And I think Pulisic had one uh, later on. It was blocked. And then, you know, Tata made some adjustments in the second half. And Berhalter really didn't adjust to it. Uh, made some questionable substitutions. And we got the result of 1-0. And Mexico finally capitalized on, you know, the U.S. Just not being able to get the ball. Yeah, it. The first half was so frustrating because Josie out the door would basically be doing exactly what you would want a striker to do in that position for about 80% of the buildup play. And then when it came to the final 20%, he did something to mess it up. So you're right. There was the one chance that he had where he basically did the perfect feint to go take the defender to the right, but then he goes left and he has the entirety of the goal with just all he has to do is pass it into the left corner. And then he looks up for a split second to see where Ochoa is and just shanks it right. And oh, it was the most Josie Altador thing I think I've ever seen. It, it was the perfect chance. The ball that I think it was Tim Ream who played it. And the control, everything about it was awesome. I was very impressed with Pulisic, of course. He was very dynamic. But you're right. Burhalter got it 50% right. And then, yeah, he, the subs were pretty questionable. Do you think that that, that adjustment and um, 
tactics switching is that is that going to come with time for him or do you think that what we see is what we get dude he's american he's stubborn i don't <laughs> i don't he i don't see a lot changing in terms of he making excuses in his head that like oh if i had tyler adams healthy things would be different or if i had another informed striker things could be different right like i could totally see him rationalizing in his head well I just, I don't have my best players. So I'm going to throw Jordan Morris out there and just see what he can do. And like, I don't understand what the point of Jordan Morris is. Like, yes, he has speed, but at the same time, he definitely doesn't have an attacking instinct. He was decent. He had a couple good, like, set piece plays, but I don't know if it's going to change. I would hope that when Adams and hopefully Pomacall, when he gets in there, bring a little bit more of a dynamic flair to the midfield. But like, I don't know, Armand, did you feel like the first half, the U.S.'s midfield was a little bit disconnected at times? Yeah, I mean, I especially saw that second half as uh, as well. I mean, there was times where Mexico had so much space and it was just like, what's going on? You had Michael Bradley to cover so much like land and uh, field. It's just like, wow, what, what what is going on? And you know what, Tristan? I feel like I do agree with you in terms of Burhalter being a little bit stubborn because, in my opinion, I feel like he wants to stick to this, you know, you, the cute little Manchester City, tuck in the fullback, have, go to a three-back uh, three line when you're in possession, but when you're not, have them spread out. When in reality, I think towards the middle of that game, I think they probably should have bunkered a little bit and absorbed a little bit of pressure and tried to you know, like hit, hit, hit them on the counter. And Berhalter kind of has, you know, attempted to rationalize his thoughts, right? Just by saying, hey, look, like, you know, Mexico is just a better team. This I really don't think that. In that game, I don't think Mexico was significantly a better team that, you know, oh, they deserve to win, blah, 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 blah. I just feel like the better coach won and that the United States didn't make necessary adjustments. And like and you can apply that at some of the – Personnel decisions were baffling. I was honestly 100% shocked that Berhalter subbed on a left back for a left back. I thought that was the most bizarre stuff I've ever seen. And yeah, I did. I did. I honestly, I honestly did. You're chasing a game. It's a left back for left back. That makes absolutely no sense. And you know what? I I, I just think it's it's part of that learning curve. And but I mean, I'll, I, I'll take a 1 0 loss. I'll take a 1 0 loss over what it could have been. And you know, those moments in the first half provide me with some optimism. And Hopefully with a better player pool, the U.S. can do better. Yeah, I think that he's going to have to really figure out a way. Well, A, Tyler Adams in that team, I think, makes a big difference. But also, I think Ariola shows promises at times. And obviously, Pulisic's amazing, very talented. But in that match, what was working was attacking down the flanks as well as just using Josie for that holdup play. And so, yeah, you're right. When he takes Josie off in like the 65th minute, 60th minute, and brings on Zardes, who has a completely different game than Altador, you you basically took, you're right, we, we're slacking Josie for not making the finish, but Josie also played really well in other aspects of the game. And you have to really question him saying, oh, Josie's not fit. It's the final He's played what, like four why is he, or why five is he games? starting if he's not fit? Yeah, exactly. If he's not fit, bring him on towards <laughs> the end, not at the middle. So, and and you're right that there was a lot of space to run into on that during that match. It was very wide open. That's why I thought it was so exciting. Um, Reggie Cannon had a couple of really good runs where 
somebody needs to sit down with him and make him watch tape of Danny Alves and Roberto Carlos and Bakari Sanya or anybody else who plays wide, right? And just kind of develop some sort of a final third, final 20% of the field game plan. I mean, Barrios, you would think with Barrios on the team that he would be kind of picking up some of those cues of how to play wide because he's had a number of runs for the club where he gets a lot of space and the guy's quick and he's a decent dribbler. Like he showed, he can actually control a ball pretty well. Um, he had some big battles up uh, against the Mexican team. Uh, the left flank was Guardado. There was just a ton of insane um, chances for him to actually convert something. And he just wasn't creating as much, but I still think he's going to be the first choice right back going forward. So FC Dallas fans can look forward to not seeing him on international breaks now going forward. So all right, so let's take a step back and kind of look at the Gold Cup just on a, on a whole, the whole tournament. Um, gentlemen, are you encouraged or discouraged about the national team or just indifferent about the, the future prospects of the team? I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic. You know what? I'm a little bit more optimistic because, look, they didn't, they didn't have a guy like Tyler Adams like we've mentioned. We've seen some players kind of, you know, make very strong impressions. I thought Tyler Boyd, for what it's worth, before he went to Berhalter's doghouse, had a very strong performance. I thought Reggie Cannon also showed that he was very promising as well. Um, just players, you know, they're going to come up through the pipeline, through the U20s. I mean, look, I, I'm, maybe coverage aside, I do think Pax and Pomacall can have a role with this U.S. Men's National Team in the relative future. You can bring on a guy like that instead of a Christian Roldan. Maybe we're talking about something a little bit of a different story. Look, I, I am a little bit more optimistic, but at the same time, Mexico was without many of their key contributors. And it's just... And, you know, like if that's the competition for the United States, specifically Mexico, it has to be a better showing. And hopefully that player pool can improve. But I mean, at least from the Borhalter side of things, I'm a little bit more encouraged than I was from the get-go. What about you, Tristan? I, mean, you know, I, I was a very negative guy going into it, but like now I'm a little bit better. So I'm, I'm actually pretty hopeful because he was, I mean, he gave Weston McKinney the armband for the final. And I think that's saying a lot when you have guys like um, Tim Ream and Michael Bradley and Josie out the door out there that potentially could also be having the armband. I know he hasn't really found his permanent captain, but I think that if he's putting an emphasis on the youth, at least in that respect, then when you have a guy like Tyler Adams healthy and I, I agree with you, man. I think Paxton warrants discussion of being in there. He's very creative. I mean, one thing that you can't argue with is that when Paxton's on the field, he's going to make stuff happen. He may get muscled down to the ball as we saw like a couple weeks ago against Portland, but he's going to at least create more opportunities than the alternative. And look, the midfield of the U S needs that bruiser, right? McKinney can't do it all. And so there will be other opportunities to have somebody in there to be that bruiser. Cause Bradley just, he's more of a glorified passer and he's not really much of a bruiser in that respect. So I was encouraged. I think that, uh, Stefan is a solid gold goalkeeper. I think he's the right guy to replace Guzan and, and Tim Howard going forward. And go, the only, the only glaring mistake or issue that we have is we just need a solid, more reliable number nine. I mean, Josie's going to do it inconsistently, in my opinion. And so I'm not saying he should be dropped from the squad, 
but he should definitely be uh, pushed by somebody else. I think he's gotten too comfy in that spot. That's fair. All right. Controversy well, arose, though, because oh. there was no VAR. And I don't know if you've seen the clip, Dustin, but I know Armand has of Weston McKinney getting basically choked by uh, Guardado right in front of the referee. Um, I thought that was a interesting decision not to award any calls or penalties or fouls for that. So, no, I missed that one uh, because I was watching a zero-zero friendly. No, that's right. So, that's, but yeah, how, yeah. but did you park in the Siena blue lot? I I don't I no I just parked where in the Camry lot or the Highlander lot or the I do I don't know I have a Volkswagen so do they have a Corolla lot? Because that's the small one. That wouldn't make sense, right? You'd think they only do the big cars. I don't know. I don't know which lot I parked interest in. I think Aww. it was red. Something red. Ooh, that's probably Camry. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's pivot from the men and talk about one of the biggest stories of this soccer year, the the Women's World Cup in France. We had the final on Sunday as well. Tristan, I know you were at the watch party at the Hall of Fame. Yeah. What did you make of the women making winning the uh, the finals of the Women's World Cup? I have to tell you, um, I made I, I underestimated the Netherlands only because I thought that they were a one trick pony in terms of they were beating a bunch of the other European sides, and then they came out against the United States and they really disrupted our midfield and. For 60-some-odd minutes, it was working. We could not get a clean look on the goal. And then when we got the penalty, uh, the stadium, at the Toyota Stadium, I mean, the people, the crowd went nuts because you could tell there had been opportunities. And then whenever the Morgan, uh, they went to VAR, it wasn't called originally, and then they went to VAR and, like, Alex Morgan got, like, kicked in the arm, basically. Um, you could tell, all right, and then Rapino steps up and like, my God, talk about somebody who not only has like put the pressure on themselves, but then raises the expectations as the tournament goes on. It it was, I mean, like there's a, there's we, the, in the men's game, we've had Neymar in the 2014 World Cup have the entire pressure of Brazil and seeing him crumble basically. Right. But then he redeems himself in the 16 Olympics by winning a gold medal, which Brazil had never won the gold medal in Olympic soccer. And I can, the only comparison I could think of Rapino doing what she did was with Neymar and the way that he brought, came back in the 16 Olympics. So I got to tell you, man, this team was stacked. I, there's nothing this team couldn't do. The last team in 15 probably defended a little better, but this team was just creative it had pace physical they played well together crystal dunn man that girl is that girl is an insanely talented footballer i i can't yeah this this is a monumental team man and the fact that they did it in such style you know and while they're like pissing off the president which i thought was just i think that's just class i mean the equal pay everything that goes into what they were doing they they came into the tournament with a message, right? They started the summer off suing U.S. soccer for equal pay, and they backed it up, right? If they had come in and sued and then maybe lost in the semis, uh, 
we wouldn't be talking about them like we are, but they came in and they won. And yeah, you kind of, I mean, think about this. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong and you can explain why, but if Nike comes out tomorrow and says, all right, the Frenchmen, they made this much last year when they won the women this year, they won this much. We're going to cover the difference. I don't know what it is like 25 million or something, 30 million. Like how could that not be the best PR move of any company of all time? Yeah, no, that certainly would be a statement. Um, so yeah, we'll see where all that goes. Um, Armand, did you get to, get to watch the, uh, the final? Yeah. I watched a lot of the women play and I mean, quite honestly, I mean, what other words can you say? They're outstanding. I'm just, I'm just honestly, Tristan kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I'm just kind of interested to see what kind of effect this has on the NWSL and whether it's too little, too late for to, for that league or would the league actually grow with people actually going to those games. I honestly do not know because, I mean, what you, you, you should, what theoretically should happen is, oh, more people go to games because of a more renewed interest in women's football. But I don't, I, I'm not sure if I'm on the same, uh, I guess, wagon as X. I know the way too many people who just follow the women's national team during these World Cup years and never like the club teams in the NWSL, like a Chicago Red Stars or Washington Spirit. So, I mean, I'm just interested to see what's the effect on the NWSL and whether this actually gives them a bump or not. Yeah, well, they just, during the middle of all of the World Cup, didn't they just sign a deal with ESPN? So, yeah, yeah, they I mean, did. And, they got that, and then they got that, uh, that the, the, the woman at the Budweiser deal, all these... Some good, there's maybe some good money going in there, but I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I'm honestly, I, this is something usually we say at the men's world cup, always oh, a boost, and there usually is a boost from the men's world cup to MLS, but I'm not, if the U.S. plays, but I'm not sure if this is going to be the same thing as the NWSL, to be honest with you. I think, sure. I think this does last only because like everybody remembers Carly Lloyd in the final four years ago. And just, I mean, she really started the, the, the tear because like going into the tournament, it was all about Alex Morgan and like Abby Wambach, right? They were like the stars, the faces. And then Carly Lloyd steals the spotlight and has this amazing final. And like Carly Lloyd's an engaging person, but like you listen to interviews with players and they'll tell you like Carly Lloyd, she's the assassin, right? Like no one's following Carly Lloyd's Instagram to see like the crazy parties or anything. They're following her Instagram to like, she's just all business. Right. And this year it was the young kids, the young guns, and then the old one, right. With the Rapino coming in. And I think the personalities of the team are going to be what drives makes it sustainable because the entire, this year, the entire team plays in the NWSL. And I think a few years ago, you didn't have as good of ownership and you didn't have a TV deal and a platform. And so now with the TV deal and you've got some decent, they've kind of worked the ownership group out, right? Like they don't have any teams this year that are brand new. So that's good. Um, and then you have, so every team's at least been there for two years and then you have decent owners. There's still a couple. If you listen to uh, the planet football podcast with Grant Wall. He, um, after the World Cup, he kind of talks about the league and explains that, like, some of the owners of the teams are solid, right? Like, the one associated with Houston, the Portland Timbers owner, he's the guy that owns the Portland Thorns. Um, Rail Salt Lake's affiliated with the, the Utah team, but, and the Orlando one as well. But 
you kind of makes the argument that you need to have some real backing and ownership that's sustainable to kind of initially go into it and create a little bit of a loss before you, before they say it's a money-making profit-making venture, if that makes any sense. It does. Uh, on that note, Armand, you are, you know, probably more about FC Dallas than, than uh, the, your average person. Um, do you ever see FC Dallas dipping his toes in the NWSL NWSL waters. Not for the foreseeable future. I don't I don't see it. I mean, obviously they do have DAs and stuff like that, but I do not see it for the foreseeable future. I think I mean, and look, it's not like what they're doing right now, they're monetary wise, it's making any it's making anything, right? Look, FC Dallas, look, we know the team struggles with attendance. Uh we know the team uh maybe doesn't pull in the, the most money, but I mean, there might be a certain point when that happens, but I think they're going to, I think Dan Hunt uh, and the Hunts will probably wait till the team is a little bit, or NWS is a little bit more profitable. Um, I could foresee, I mean, Anthony Precourt came out and said, hey, look, Austin, we're looking, we, we were kind of talking to NWSL to potentially get a team there. I think Austin was on top of all the ratings charts for uh, women's football. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw um, maybe one more in Atlanta get a spot like that uh, an NWSL team or one of these newer expansion teams um, kind of coming in and investing in the NWSL for the original sides. I think they have their own problems to deal with, especially with Dallas. I really just don't see uh, an NWSL uh, side coming. Cause I mean, they just took their first step this year to add a USL league one side. So, I mean, Portland had that a, a bit while ago and Seattle had that a while ago I, I don't see, I don't see that, and I mean I see more likely a team like an Atlanta or even an Austin FC adding an NWSL team much before FC Dallas would. I don't know that it necessarily even has to be linked to FC Dallas, right? Like, I don't think you have to have the Hunts involved at all. I think you could. I mean, I was talking at work today with some friends, and we were just because Ross Perot died, and they were like, "Who is Ross Perot?" And we were like, "We don't know who Ross Perot is." And this guy was like, "I've never heard of him." And I was like, "Okay." Let me explain something. And so we talked about, we were talking about how many billionaires live in Dallas area, Dallas, Fort Worth. And all it takes is like one of those guys to be like, all right, I've got three or 4 billion and I'll, I'll put 50, not even, I don't think you need 50 million. I bet you, you could do the entire, I don't know what a franchise costs in NWSL. Um, but you could do 10 million bucks probably and fund a complete team for at least three or four years. And you don't even have to do it in Frisco, right? Like put it in the middle of the city, put it in Irving, <laughs> put it off of the dart line at some like high school football stadium that seats five or 6,000 people. And I guarantee you, if you signed one, one or two players from the world cup team this year, the, the place will get five to 6,000 just cause it's something different. You know, we went to that watch party and I, I was, I think I texted you, Dustin on Sunday morning. There were, there were probably a thousand people lined up outside of there at nine fifteen, <laughs> and it didn't start until 10. They opened at nine, but there were still people coming in. And then by the time we, we got in and everything, there was probably five or 6,000 people that had showed up. Um, and so there's an audience in the Dallas area. I think it's just, it's the issue with the reason why we have low attendance here. It's Poor marketing, and as we kind of joked about beforehand, we don't have any Mexicans on our team, so people don't want to show up for that. 
but there's no shortage of girls in the area that want to see like the best players play. So fair, fair. All right. Well, let's keep this patriotic theme going and let's talk a little bit about the independence day match between FC Dallas and DC United. How was that for transition fellas? Typical Dustin. It was, it was okay. (laughs) Seven out of 10. Yes. (laughs) All right. Um, one of you guys want to give us a recap of that game? Armand, how about you? Uh, I see what we're doing here. Uh, part of my hazing, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, a very... Would you, I wouldn't use the word back and forth. I would just say a game that FC Dallas dominated. Uh, to be quite frank with you, you saw Jesus uh, score early. Uh, you saw... San, Santi. Oh, I'm sorry, Santi. I don't know why I said Jesus. Jeez, what a, what a fake what a fake reporter am I, man? My God, you are fake news. Yeah, I'm f- fake. I am fake news. I am Chris Broussard. No, um, it. I just thought it was a game they dominate. Uh, to be quite honest, from the outset, you get that early goal uh, from Santi. Thank you, Dustin. And I, I just didn't see DC ever create that many opportunities to get back into the game. I thought Rooney was relatively quiet outside of his red card slash yellow card slash orange card tackle. I mean, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, you know, Dallas kind of can you stay in the course, kind of imposing on DC. And then what what, what do we see at what do we see there? They got a two-o lead. Luciano Costa steps on Pax and Pomacall's face. And then they close they close out the result and, and get the victory. I thought it was a mature performance from Dallas, especially a week after you have a letdown like that two oh uh lead against Vancouver just disappear. I think that's a very mature performance. And, you know, if they had 10 men, they had 10 men. You got to play who's in front of you. And I think it was a very strong performance. I said, hey, look, we 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 can play and we can play against the best teams here. And we're learning from our mistakes, which is I mean, what the season is. It's a giant learning uh, experience for FC Dallas. I mean, is, is that the same feeling you got, Tristan, or, or am I crazy? No, I think you're right. It's... Um... It's always important whenever you have a match like this where you know you're going to get a big crowd that you come out and actually put on a good show for the for the home pit, home fans, right? And I felt like the team basically came out and played a full 90 minutes, um, which was my criticism of the team the past couple of weeks has been that we couldn't finish a match. And so, yeah, I was excited. Um, a good attacking start is always important to have. Santi comes out and he's positioning perfect. That's the reason why we scored that goal. I mean, we've had tons of balls like that where whether it's Barrios or whether it's Baji or Paxton plays the ball in and there's either nobody there or it's one FC Dallas shirt surrounded by three of the opponents. Right. And in this case, we, we, it was quick, right? That's why there was the space. The other team hadn't had the chance to actually like, break and get into its positioning, its space. And then you had a good positioned player that was actually onside. And so Santi scores his goal. I was very excited. I was very, um, I was glad for the fans, right? I wasn't able to make it to this match, but I was glad that the people that did come out got to see a win and an early goal always helps. So that was good to see. And then obviously Paxton playing, doing really well, having a really good match. And us showing that we don't need Grezo, right? I mean, Grezo gets sold uh, for a really good price last week. And 
we respond with a, a good win against a really good DC United team that really wasn't missing very many people from the Gold Cup, right? Um, they had a couple of people out, but so did we. And we were able to get a W and three points, which I went and looked. And I mean, we've got a pretty tough run of games. We still have two matches against Kansas City, which they're not good this season, but they'll probably still get some results against us because that's just what we do. Um, <laughs> and we'll end up beating like Seattle or something away. Um, but the, you look at the schedule and I mean, we got to make sure that we get all the home points that we can. Um, Cause road wins are hard in the MLS. Yeah. And it's, it's really good. You, you always want to win the games that are, you have more attendance than normal. You got people there that are not normally going to be there. And if you can put on a show for them, maybe you can get to entice them to come back. Yeah. So Armand, do you feel like they're doing something? There's a pep in the step this week at practice versus uh, what it was kind of going into the match last week. Yeah. I mean, cause they're coming off a down, right? They were coming off a down those two really bad results. They, they really thought they had that Vancouver win and they really thought they outplayed Portland in that second half, which I mean, I, I, I want I say I agree with them with it, with their analysis. So, I mean, after you come out, you come out with a two Oh win, uh, against DC, you have some players, some key players like uh, Matt, like Ryan, like Paxton, getting rest. So they only they don't play they only play against Cholos. So they get that nice they get that nice you know uh, weekend off. They come back refreshed and ready to go. You're gonna have Reggie who's gonna come back hungry uh, after you know starting the Gold Cup final. And you know you, you got guys like Cervania who's officially been handed the keys. It's like, all right, now you're going to be the guy who's going to replace Carrizo. So I do think there is a little bit more pep in the step. There is a little bit more uh, excitement, you know, especially going into uh, or coming off a match like DC where you put on a complete performance, where Paxton plays brilliantly, where, like you said, they show that, you know what, you sell when you're a better midfielder, it's okay, we're fine, and we'll be completely okay. And you do it in front of a raucous crowd. I think that's those are all things that they hit. And yes, I, I think that that definitely does help with their confidence. I and mean, you are starting to see it a little bit, uh, you know, after those matches. Yeah, I think I think Lucci's ready for some of what he's been doing to really be validated over a sustained period. And so he's probably looking to uh, basically not just what's been working to keep working, but also to kind of see it work in consecutive matches, right? Like get some points on the board in terms of it'd be nice to move up in. I mean, we've played a lot of matches. If you look at the table in terms of having games in hand versus other teams. And so every time we get three points, it's a good thing to have. It's kind of weird. The East has had as a few more 21 game teams, but we're the, there's only a couple other. Yeah. Just one other. 20 game team in the, the West and that's Vancouver. And so we'll have to make sure that a, our points per game gets higher, but that's only going to happen with wins. All right. Well, I know that Tristan's got to um, bow out here pretty soon, but before he does, um, we want to talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes things that were going on um, in a little section of the show. We're going to call story time with Armand. Um. So we know that the game was contentious. We had the Rooney orange card. We had the Acosta red card. Um, pool reporter Armand. Yeah, that was a mistake. 
<laughs> how did that? So first of all, what is a pool reporter and how did that play out for you on Independence Day? So basically as a pool reporter, I am, there's three pool reporters listed uh, on the, on a, on a website. I think you, they contact you from a pool reporter. You're basically tasked with asking the referee questions. So to ask a referee question, basically you have to handwrite everything, sign it, go there, wait for them to respond. And then you have to take a picture of it, send it to all the pool reporters. If they're there, and then go on from there. So unlucky for me, the two other pool reporters weren't there. And it was just me. Obviously, there was two very controversial moments. We had that Rooney orange card and Luciano Acosta's red card. And you know what? The funny thing is, I heard an explanation for Luciano Acosta's red, uh, red card. You heard it too, Dustin. We were sitting in a press box. There was a pro official who explained what happened to a DC United official. And, you know, uh, that's, that's cool and all, but I mean, I need that in writing. I need it on the record. I don't, I, I can't take some, but secondhand things, some guys saying. So I wrote, I wrote down my questions and I sent it to the, I sent it to the, um, uh, PR people and they helped me out as I'm sitting waiting for Lucci. I see when the PR guys come out and say, Hey, we need you. They, 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 you're refusing to answer this question because they don't think you're a pool reporter. I said, that doesn't make any sense. I am a pool reporter. I'm on the list. And it was basically a pain in the behind. I had to wait 40 minutes for my response uh, for the what happened. They didn't answer the second question I asked, which is about Acosta's red card. Dustin, you saw it. You saw it. They didn't answer it, right? They just kind of made a reply to it. Like, oh, it was actually this, not this. Yeah. So for for you can see, I think Armand tweeted a picture of the response. Um, so if you want to see the exact thing, you can go on, look up Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai on Twitter, a plug. Uh, but essentially Armand asked, so um, can you give us some explanation of what you saw with the, I think you said, um, serious foul play with the Acosta red card. And the, his response was simply, it was not a red card for serious foul play. It was a red card for violent conduct. So he got like super pedantic with you and basically didn't even attempt to answer the, the spirit of the question. And it's just like, and it's just like, you know, for accountability reasons, why can't they be more transparent? Why can't I get the answer that I heard from the guys in the press box on paper? To me, it's, to me, it's mind boggling. And uh, for a 10 story time that I'm on, I missed the post game press conference. I missed basically all the player interviews. I had to stiff arm a fan out of my way to go up uh, into the press box to crank out this thing before deadline. Dustin saw me. How fast was I going up those stairs? It was pretty fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> that poor fan. Yes. And you know, it's, it's just it's disappointing, but I think back to the game, I think it was a fantastic result for Dallas because DC is a top three side right now in the Eastern conference. And Sure, they're missing Ariola, but you know what? Dallas missing Reggie Cannon. We, 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 this game can be played back and forth all the time. Dallas is missing mm-hmm. Paxton, Pomacol, Cervania, and Surreal for a couple games as well. I mean, it just happens. You got to adjust and move on. And I think if you're a Dallas fan, first off, you look at the performance by Paxton, Pomacol, and say, wow, that was absolutely glorious and he's great. You look at the performances by defense and said, wow, we have so much depth. 
if you're, you're there's so much depth with the team. If you look at it as a fan again, you say, "Wow, we look pretty good right now." The question is, can they can they finish it off? I know Dustin, you have a little bit of a hot take about Prasan that I want Tristan to hear about it too, or maybe Tristan's already heard it. Oh yeah. So here's a quick question for you. Um, with Brisson playing so well at right back, and we, I mean, we've had a, we had a clean sheet. We've had pretty good defensive form performances. Does Reggie Cannon walk back into the side whenever he comes back? Yes. Yes, I, I think so too. Um, but it's, it's worth noting. Are you going to defend your hot take? I didn't say it was a hot take. I asked a, a, a question. I don't, I just ask, I'm just asking questions. So here's the quick thing, and then I'm going to take off. But Brisson won freaking Copa Libertadores with Grimio. I mean, like, he's a center back. That's what we signed him for. That's what they envision him as. I don't think he's going to switch. I mean, he, he's getting by, right? Like, Reto can play at the left back position for a couple matches if we need him to. But if you need to have a center back, you sign a center back and you pay him that way. And I don't, I think that Reggie is going to, he's not, maybe he takes a game off just to get some rest, but he didn't play every match of the gold cup either. Right. So um, he's going to be fresh still. So I think you, I think you go with the young guy. Keep, I think you keep Brisson in there, maybe give Reto a, a game or two off or at least from the bench potentially. And then when Nelson gets back, I mean, you have a solid five that you can pick from on that back line to make up your four. Right. So. Yeah. I think, I think Nelson's out for a while is what I'm hearing. So um, yeah. Until then though. Um, yeah. No, I, to answer my own question, I, yeah, he comes right back in. I think you're right. He may take a game off. I think so. His mom, I interviewed his mom for our, one of our Mother's Day episodes. Justin and, and the moms. Yep. Dallas Soccer Mom Show. Uh, his mom, Tracy, I interviewed her and she was saying that the last time he went on international duty, he lost like nine pounds because he just couldn't eat enough while he was there. It's Berhalter. Uh, it's Berhalter is very strict on like diet and stuff like that. That's, that's actually something that's really interesting. Uh, if you look at some of the pictures they post in U.S. soccer, when they're in camp, next to like each on the bench, there's 23 like blender bottles with like specifically what each player needs. It's That's one of those things that Burhalter is just so methodical on. Honestly, I'm not surprised Reggie lost weight. He used to get back on that. Uh, he used to be on that no-carb diet, but nice to get back and carb up a little bit. Yep. Like us. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so Tristan, thanks for joining us, but Armand and I are going to go ahead and we're going to talk about a little bit about that Cholos Tijuana. Well, you are not me. Okay. The Tijuana match, uh, on Sunday night. Is it because Armand was at, uh, God knows where watching the legacy hall, legacy hall. Okay. Uh, he's going to play host and I'm going to play media guy, Dustin. So let's let, let's let's talk about that match, Dustin. Since uh, you are the insider now, uh, <laughs> congratulations! I'm very Thank proud you. of you. I think <laughs> is that the right word? Um, so no, Dustin. Looking at that match, was there anything? Forget the recap. 
was there anything notable in your eyes that we should be talking about um, regarding it? Um, not really. Uh, not the Pablo red card in a friendly. So, so talk, I mean, okay. The, they're the, the overall, I mean, we always knew going in that it wasn't going to be exciting that we're going to get to see some, some players that we hadn't seen in a while, but, or, or that we hadn't seen at all, such as like, uh, Jonathan Gomez got a start. We got to see Alfonso Jada play with the first team. Uh, in fact, Francis Atuahine and Emma Tomasi were back from their loans to San Antonio or Austin, the Austin Bold. Um, so you know, we all we, though we knew those were going to be the talking points, I guess, going in. What was surprising, I guess, is what you could say is is that it was rather it was a rather contentious match. There was quite a bit of physicality to it. Um, we saw Pablo Aranguias get his red card for shouldering a guy in the face. Uh, so that's a talking point. And the other, I guess the other main talking point, and we, we can get to each one of these here individually, but I guess the main, the other main talking point didn't happen on the field. It happened off with who didn't get to play. And that was Zdenek Andresic El Cobra. What do, what do you make of that? Do you think that's a, uh, yikes, he's not good enough to play? Or is that, or do you buy what Lucci said in terms of the red card changed it and they didn't have anyone else to replace him? Uh, so Ooh, I, I don't like that answer. I think that, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in all of it, right? I think he probably is happy to, to be here, happy you know, being on the team, making his half a mil or whatever, just enjoying the States here. But I think that at the same time, the writing's kind of on the wall about him. Like if he can't get into the friendly, if he can't push out um, and push Jesus Ferreira out of, out of getting a little time playing time or find a way into a friendly match against um, Cholos, then I mean, you're not you're not going to see much more of him, I don't think. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Let me break it down this way. When I first, I made my first ever Sirius XM debut. Okay. They asked me about the Cobra, and they're like, "Oh, what's up with the Cobra? Is a big signing. What's up?" I told them, guys, he's behind Jesus Ferreira in the depth chart. He he won't be playing, and they were stunned, legitimately stunned when I said that. They're like, "Wow!" It was an audible "Wow." Let's break it down even further. Zdeniko Dorosnik has dropped to third in the depth chart. Ferreira, Pepe. Baji, fourth. You could even yeah, you could even say he's fourth because Pepe has been getting significant more playing time than Cobra. Yes, mm-hmm. you know it and I know it. If Coleman comes back, I'm willing to wager that he drops down even further. The question is, this is this signing obviously not working out it obviously isn't and i'm not going to be that guy that's going to rag on a player and say he's terrible he sucks blah 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 blah. that's not me that's not right the fit isn't here he's obviously a serviceable player but the fit isn't here he was brought in before lucci if i remember correctly right yes yes he was brought in before lucci but i think that he at least was pulling strings 
right around that time too. So. so my my thought process behind that's this: the way Lucci described Cobra to me when I first interviewed him was always oh, a hard worker, hard this, hard that. It was a very generic thing. With Acosta, it was very specific. With even Brasson, it was very specific. For Cobra, he's very he's a, the team player. He works hard. I think the writing is on the wall for Cobra. Like you said, Dustin, I think his time is up. The question is when? When? Yep. Exactly. Now, there's rumors he's linked with Tromso of uh, Nor- Norway. I think that's a very natural rumor to make. It's a lot like the Pity Martinez to back to River Plate. It's a very natural one. He's not playing, he's not playing well. He didn't play in that he friendly. Has a history with that club. He's a history. Exactly. It's, it's the same recipe. It's the same recipe. It's a, it's, a, it's a make rumor, Dustin. Old club, a player that's not playing. Boom, you got a rumor. Done. Easy. Pro tip right there. Pro tip. <laughs> but I just think the writing's on the wall with Cobra. And you know what? I'll even wager to say this. The writing's on the wall for Pablo Aranguiz. For sure. I think, yeah. I think both, I'm sorry, I think both players just, just haven't integrated well with Lucci at all and you know what it's okay it's okay it's it's honestly okay Pablo has shown glimpses of being a very good player and maybe he needs to go back to Chile maybe he needs to go somewhere else maybe he needs to go back home maybe he's, maybe he's just not working out here with Cobra maybe he needs to go back to Europe and you know maybe go back to the team he's more comfortable with none of these players are working out they aren't playing they look frustrated Pablo especially looks very frustrated Watch his body language against the New Mexico. He wasn't selected as the last to get in. He kind of just like slouched back and was like, kind of gave me an impression. Of, wow. Like I'm not going in. Wow. And then Cobra. Look, nice guy, fun personality, good for media, but it's just not working out. Just, I think it's time at, at some point you got to cut the losses and move on. No, totally agree. Uh, I think that that's spot on. It's my, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, uh, mainly because I suck at talking. So, which is great for having a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other interesting thing is that Giassi, um, Edwin Giassi, our new left wing signing from Seska Sofia in Bulgaria. Yep. um, He is in town. He was seen on the, on the pitch playing a little uh, keepy uppies with the, with the substitutes. And uh, actually, after the the match, I was able to catch up with him and ask him a couple questions. So here is the audio for that. So, uh, how? Walk me through how you ended up there. Um, Yeah, I already heard about the interest in January, but uh, yeah, it didn't uh, work out in January because the club didn't want to sell me. And then uh, this summer, it was time to to move to Dallas, but. yeah, it was still complicated because other teams were also interested. And, um, yeah, I chose Dallas and now I'm here. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what would you say that you bring with your game to this team to help it out? Wow. Um, I think I can bring more um, speed into the game and more... More, uh, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> more uh, entertainment, maybe. Yeah, like um, 
Yeah, dribbles, uh, shots on the balls. Uh, yeah, I think that's messed up. Yeah. You've been here a couple couple days. Double day, yeah, three days. Yeah. Who uh, who on the team has kind of is anybody taking you under the wing and showing you, showing you the ropes? Whoa, everybody, yeah. everybody's really uh, nice to me and. Uh, yeah, I think they're all nice guys. Yeah, forward to seeing you. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, that's that. Armand, have you seen him at training yet? I have, but um, you know, I I actually was talking to someone about this. Like, oh, what do you think of Giassi? And I kind of like laughed. I said, look, if you want to make a judgment off of YouTube videos and what people have told me and like training, like, I can't do that. I have to make a make an educated opinion from watching games. Howard, Dustin, we did talk pre-show about how you think that he's going to just kind of plug in and play. I think he is too. I think he is yep. too. I think I think he is going to have an impact. Is uh, going to at least attempt to have an impact or something along those lines. Relatively early. Um, look, you don't spend money on a tan player and don't have an impact. This is again is also a Lucian Zanata signing. I know this because they talked about getting him in January, and now they're still keeping tabs on him and bringing him in now. Look, I mean, it's not a sexy signing. Let's just say that. Not a sexy signing. For example, a an example of maybe not even a sexy signing, but something that'd be really interesting, like Yamil Assad, who is uh who just lost his contract or just got cut from Velez, who was great for Atlanta's work rate and great for DC, but you're not gonna get that in Dallas. I think Giassi will be serviceable. But again, I can't make that judgment quite yet. But from what I've heard and what people have told me, Seems like a player they're very excited about. Obviously, you bring in a player you're excited about, but seems like a player that's very physical, which uh, which is great. When you hear that, especially coming to MLS, that's fantastic. MLS is a very physical league. It's one thing people will always mention. MLS is more physical than a lot of people come in expecting. And that's the one thing people from Europe always mention. That's it's Lamar mentioned it. Ziegler mentioned it. I can go on. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's immense. It's, it's immense. And I think I'm interested to see how he's going to do. And I'm interested to see how fast he joins and starts playing. As far as getting him in right away, I think there's a desire to get Baji back over to the middle. And I think, I think he's going to be, end up being the first choice uh, center forward um, going forward. I think, I think that that's, can we talk about Baji for a little bit? Let's, let's do it. Why not? Can we talk about Baji for a little bit? Was I having this discussion with you or maybe with someone else? It, the, the whole Baji situation is a little interesting to me. Okay. The amount, of, the amount of critique he gets, I think is ridiculous. The amount of flack he gets. Let's just break it down a little bit. He was traded midseason and it was a shock. Remember, he was in, I think, the Senegal when it, the trade actually happened. We, I mm-hmm. think we forget these details. He, he was getting his green card, right? Yeah, he was getting his green card. Yep. Spot on, Dustin. You got that memory. He came in mid-season. That's always tough for a player. Always tough. You change environments. Let's not forget that. It's huge as well. In terms of the heat, he's not used to the heat. He's not used to playing in the heat. It's Colorado. Come from Colorado to FC Dallas. Like, there's a, diff- a significant change in climate. Let's break it down even further. Now he's being asked to play wing. It's not a position he's comfortable with. He, he, he's even mentioned he's not comfortable with that position. 
He's a ba- yep. he's a back to the goal kind of guy. I think the amount of flack he's getting for playing at the wing is a little too much from what I've been reading. It's a little uncalled for. When you play a player out of position, he's going to struggle. I think this is a very, I don't think it's a hot take. Like if you're going to be, if you're going to be a player out of position, you're going to struggle. If you went back to forward and you saw it, he scored last game, right? He scored last game. I like him more in a forward role. His ability to be quick and just pacey on the counter. It's to me, it's to me, it's, it's very, it's very valuable. And I think Dustin, you hit a very good point by saying they have a desire to move to move Baji back to forward because that's his preferred position. That's his role. That's where he can perform best for the team. Look, as much as you guys want to hype up Pepe or everything, I'd much rather have a guy like Baji in the middle at this stage of the season than a guy like Pepe playing. And that's not a knock on Pepe at all. It's just it's a more of a boost of what Baji can bring to the table experience wise. I don't know what, what were your thoughts on that? No, hundred um, percent. That having him in the middle, it's gonna the desire to have him in the middle means that Giassi is gonna get right in the in the lineup unless like so the I guess the the wild card here is Santi Mascara. So what happens to him bringing in this, this left wing? Um, he had a pretty good performance on the left wing against DC United, but he's also injured a lot. So like, how does that, like what that dynamic will be interesting to see how it shakes out. And uh, yeah, as far go heading back to Baji, um, I've, I've been on team Dom for, a while. I, I like the guy. Um, I, I want to see him do well. And I think that he still can. So time will tell Armand. Yeah, no, I agree. And maybe I guess we'll leave our listeners with this question. Is Mosquera the next one to leave? That's a good question. Is Mosquera the next one to leave? I don't, I don't know. I don't. You mean look, after, after Cobra and after Pablito? Yeah, yeah. Then, then yeah. mascara. Yeah. So I mean, I was reading like I mean, obviously we're in the show, but I mean, we're reading a. I was reading a, an excerpt from Soccernomics talking about how the most costly thing is selling, uh, kind of uh, bringing you know, having a system around the coach, right? Not a club philosophy, but a system around a coach. Every time a coach leaves, you have to you sell his players on a discount that were good with the other coach, but can't integrate with. Uh, the new coach. So players that are good with Oscar that cannot integrate with the with the with the players uh, with the with the style Lucci has. Pablo is one of those guys. He's gonna be sold on discount. Andrasnik is gonna be one of those guys. He's gonna be sold on discount. I wonder if Mosquero is one of those guys that's coming up as well. It's just a thought. I don't know anything. Like I said, apparently I'm some know-it-all insider, but I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing. There's no. Don't take anything and make this into a tweet or anything. This is me purely spitballing. I wonder if Mosquera uh, is one of those guys that could be next uh, on the departure list. I really think it depends on our ability to get a replacement left wing. I, I think that if if Giassi doesn't work out, he's then mascara sticks around. Also, me spitballing. Alrighty. Well, that is enough uh, FC Dallas talk. Let's end the show with a little bit of a mid-season check-in with Matt Denny, 
I sat down with him at halftime of the Cholos game uh, just to kind of see where he's at, see how the season is meeting his expectations and what he thinks of all of the talent that's coming out of North Texas SC. So here is that interview. Oh, it's, it's also it's also available on our YouTube channel if you'd like to see my pretty face. Um, that's sarcasm. So here is that interview. I'm here with Matt Dini, general manager of North Texas SC. How are you doing, Matt? Very good, thank you. Wanted to do a little bit of a, a I guess, mid-season check-in. Um, we're we're about halfway through, roughly. Yeah, or less. after tonight's game, we'll be halfway through exactly. Right. So yeah, yeah. So just want to see, kind of, from your perspective, how has the season, as it's taken shape, compared to your expectations coming into the season? Yeah, uh, it's hard to really see. You know, expectations were were high, um, but we didn't really know what to expect. You don't know the teams you're playing against. And ours was really to get established and, you know, obviously playoffs was, was a key goal. As the games have gone on, obviously, you know, different expectations start to, to take form. But uh, really for us, the biggest thing was getting it off the ground, making sure it's successful and and, and seeing where we're at and, and reviewing it and just constantly, you know, reviewing and analyzing where we're at. So, I mean, if you look at it right now, we're top of the league. Um, teams are seeing us as a team to beat, which is great. Um, but for us, we're seeing teams improve as well against us. And we're, there's no easy game. And you can see from the game at Madison where we didn't have the full roster, the luxury that we've had all season, it's it's not an easy league. So the, the games we've been playing and winning and getting points, it wasn't just, you know, we were just, it's an easy league, we're getting points. It was, we've earned them and we got a great team. And the way we play uh, and prepare for games, you know, has been on point. So that's a credit to the team and the coaching staff as well when you look at how they review tape and, and see the other teams. So it's been good so far. Um, we're already planning for next year. And um, as much as we're kind of reviewing and seeing where it's taking shape, we're looking at next year, you know, in a lot of aspects. You bring up that, that Ford Madison match. Yep. Um, how did, so with all the players away at the development academy playoffs, yep. how, <laughs> Walk me through how y'all thought about just playing Michelle. Like, how does that? You know, that... to be honest with you, it was kind of one of those, one of the things is muscular former, and uh, it's it's something we obviously didn't really want to be in a position to do, but it's it's just the way it shook out, and we were trying to figure out everything we can do to to put out what the best we can, and it's just one of those things as an organization. That's where we we're at that week, and um, you know, we learn and and we adapt, and we're already looking at how that's not going to happen in, in the future. So. Yeah, I didn't even that, that situation didn't even cross my mind <laughs> <laughs> until until it happened, and then yeah, it, yeah. Um, so this season, before the season started, um, you told me uh, watch this guy named Jata. Yeah, uh, he's right. going to be awesome. Yeah, and we've seen him play really well. We've seen Ricardo Pepe uh, get signed as a homegrown. We've seen um, Bicanth, um Go play in the Gold Cup. Yep. We've seen Ronaldo Damas. Yep. Lead the league in, in goals yeah, so far. Him. How do you feel about the success of all these players? Um, no, it's good for us. I mean, it's like for us, we just want to see if we're bringing in, you know, international players and, and players that, you know, our scouting teams looked at and think of good prospects. For us, the success is, you know, we get the Pepe coming in, we get the Damas leading goal scorers, and, you know, it, Success for us, I think we're exceeding expectations to some degree, but we don't know. We've obviously got to see where they're at in a year, two years. Mm-hmm. 
three years and it's just for us it's a model and um, it's great for us that we can get players in to take a look at and then you know we can analyze where they're at in regards to the first team as well so it's it's kind of inside look and see how they perform at this level so it's great i mean it's exciting because i think that if you look at um at this year especially we were telling people come over to us it's, it's obviously a great setup you'll get to train with the first team there's prospects of moving up to the first team and to some degree people can take it at your word but they're always that certain like yeah we'll see how that actually works out and we've actually proven that you know with Pepe you know the first signing he's got MLS contract and now when we're looking at bringing players in for future years we can say look it's proven yeah Yeah, it's proven and you know it's uh we'll we'll see more of it I'm sure so um so you mentioned bringing in that international talent and you've got the players going up um as they were it's you know it's it's viewed as a kind of a pathway to the yeah. to the big leagues right so as the players move up who in the organization like goes out and finds those jatas and those mm-hmm. uh, those players those international players is that is that you or is that no i mean it's really all the technical staff we okay. meet and uh, we have the scouting team technical staff they're coming in and they're constantly just evaluating and looking at uh, you know players and prospects and um, that's the exciting part of it is seeing that and and just evaluate who who potentially can come in. But, you know, Andre's come in. He's making a huge impact. You know, Marco and all the scouts. So the first team technical staff is... Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they do. I mean, they're doing it for the first team. And, you know, it's just another caveat to okay. that. So it's, uh, you know, somebody that, you know, in the past you might have taken the risk on a first team player, but the MLS is so competitive now that you can't take as big of a gamble. You know, there's certain people you can when you know they can perform, but, you know, it's... To take somebody like, uh, say, Jata was a first-team prospect, it's a big gamble to put somebody without much experience. But you can find those diamonds and bring them in. You know, have a year with them, and it's it's exciting to see that. And also, develop them. You know, not only have we got good teams, but we've got the SDRSU program and the coaching staff that mm-hmm. are just proven developers. So that's great when you can do that and take someone that's potentially a raw player and and bring them into something that's MLS level. What should uh, what should fans be excited for for the whole second half of the season? Um, just to see what players come in. I mean, you know, seeing what we get from the first team, any other players coming in, and you know, we don't we're not stopped yet for the season. I mean, that's kind of where it's easy to sit back. But I think you'll start to see once the first team gets you know healthy players and they start to get their roster back up to full strength. You know, we'll see players getting more minutes with us, and and that's the cool thing for us is you know you see players. You know, like Thomas, you know, Reynolds, Savania, they've had minutes with us. And I think it's made them more prepared when they have been called upon. So um, hopefully we get more, you know, more opportunities with them to play with us and just seeing our guys develop to, you know, the core of our team. It's it's so tight and, you know, they don't want to lose. They want to win every game. And then uh, once we get the, you know, all the academy kits together, they seeing them progress and develop, you know, playing against men at a professional level is, it's exciting to see that. So you've seen it already. I mean, you've seen players like, you know, Tanner Tessman and, you know, just develop and you've got Gomez out there and now with the first team. It's, you know, seeing the progression is just really exciting for, for the fans, I think. And building that uh, knowledge of the players, you know, actually getting minutes, you can see the USL and you get to know those players that maybe wouldn't get as many minutes with the first team initially. So 
Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing the rest of the season with North, uh, North Texas SC. Thank yeah. you for your time, sir. No, thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate your support. It. Thanks. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to end the show. We've, we're way over time. Uh, Armand, thanks for, for, thanks for joining me this week. And forever. And forever. Yeah. I, I got to get used to saying that. So exciting. Yeah. I'm doing I'm, spirit I'm, fingers. I'm, I got, I got that little, uh, what is it? That, uh, that blockbuster video announcing announce Armand and uh, <laughs> I've been calling nice young DP signing like three times. So uh, shout out the hey, fans, shout out I can... technical director, Dustin for bringing me in. I promise I won't bust like a, uh, all these other DPs. I can't agree with those fans more that have said that. Um, happy to have you uh, again. I'm Dustin nation, Armand Kafai, and for Tristan Vic, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.